Welcome back to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. We're turning dreamers into doers. If you're ready to open your heart and take inspired action on your dreams, you are in the perfect place with wonderful people. Here's your host, dreamer, educator, and adventurer, Abigail Gazda. Hello, and welcome back to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. Welcome back to the anxiety series, and welcome to the episode, Long-Term Anxiety Management. Uh, As each episode, I hope to serve this topic justice. I want to say that this is an episode uh, I have both personally and professionally been arriving at for years. And what I mean by that, as I shared in the episode Living with Anxiety, which was the first episode of this series, is that I've been managing my own experience with anxiety since about 2007. And it's been quite a journey. So I will share what has worked for me, what has worked for clients that I've served, children in the education that I've worked with, like as across the board. Also, I feel like saying in every single episode, I've noticed that Anxiety is so unique to each person and yet has so many common threads. So I am going to, as always, do my best to serve this topic justice and be as comprehensive as possible while also knowing I don't think there's enough words in the English language or hours on a podcast to be able to, you know, offer each scenario and get it narrowed down to or excuse me, that broad to include everybody's experience and what works for them or not. So I'm going to do my best and we're going to dive in together. So thank you for being here. Thank you for continuing to return. And I want to encourage you that if these episodes are resonating with you, please share them with those you know who may also struggle with anxiety. And last thing I want to say before we start is if you feel like these episodes are helpful and you would like to work together, please reach out to me, Abigail at heartsunleashed.com. And I'd be happy to answer questions, explore this content with you, this, uh, this concept with you or anything else that you might be working on in life. So um, I actually want to start this episode with telling you what doesn't work. And that would be ignoring invalidating, attempting to override or distract or avoid or overcompensate or compartmentalize. None of those strategies will work for long-term anxiety management. What tends to happen in those cases is you compartmentalize and stuff and suppress for so long that it starts to cause physical symptoms, uh, dis-ease of all sorts. And in fact, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that as we continue to go on, but just want to share and encourage that trying to bypass this experience is not super functional. In fact, uh, in real time, we just ended the Hearts Unleashed retreat, the annual retreat that we host. And one of our speakers was sharing her experience with sadness, depression, addiction, anxiety, and mentioned, maybe if I don't acknowledge it, it isn't real. Uh, that's not super functional. And that's basically gaslighting yourself. And it's not going to help with long-term anxiety management. So instead, we're going to dig into things you can do, how this might look, what it looks like over, you know, the course of years. And I want to start with what I, something I mentioned in the first episode, which is how I work with people and how I work with anxiety in general. 
I look at it in three stages. One is awareness. You need to become aware of how anxiety is active in you, the role it plays in your life, the behaviors, the triggers, like, I mean, so many different levels of awareness, but awareness alone is not effective because there's nothing to do. It's like all look, no play. So that will keep you feeling the feelings, experiencing the anxiety or body sensations or the troubles caused by it. So there's awareness. And then the next step is management. So you know, healthy coping mechanisms, skills, uh, what to do, how to be. So there's a lot of tactics applied in the management part. And also, um, obviously, there's a ton of healing in this area. And I want to say, for me, when I'm working with somebody, I like to offer equations, let's say. So there's the awarenesses, but then what do you do with those awarenesses, right? Like I like to use part of management is this happened in your childhood. This is how you turned out. This is the identity you created. And then like, is that how you want to live? Management meaning putting you at choice about the identities, patterns, mechanisms you've created to protect yourself um, or to minimize your anxiety or alleviate or compensate. And so management, it can be messy, but we're tearing up all the old patterns and behaviors and we're reformulating, reconfiguring. The next stage is integration. Integration means creating a lasting shift in your life. Management is like a diet. Integration is a lifestyle change or transformation. So management is good and important, but you can't rely on saying, I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to do this every week. I'm going to do this every month and have no accountability and no repetition. So integration is the deep, lasting change of acceptance, of accepting who and how you are, accepting the way life has gone. So what I said in the beginning, like what won't work is ignoring and validating, overriding, overcompensating, compartmentalizing. Integration is I have this, I experience this, and it's not going to control my life. I said this so many times in the first episode, Living with Anxiety, which is around like, anxiety is a natural part of life. It's a natural function of being a human. It's a natural outcome of some of the trauma and fears and insecurities that you have. And so it's that you actually accept anxiety instead of resist anxiety or try to get rid of anxiety. You actually integrate it into your being and you operate with it. Um, what's the phrase? If you can't beat them, join them. This is integration. So integration is embracing yourself, all the parts of you and including them while also being able to choose from the most empowered version of you. In fact, that's the next step of management that I'd like to work with and share is the narratives that you think and speak. I want to break it down into two sections, which would be empowered or disempowered. And are you living, thinking, and speaking empowered, or are you living, thinking, and speaking disempowered? And this, there is a lot of discipline in this area. In fact, I have an episode called Your Word Creates Your World, and this is a very 
specific example, uh, like empowered and disempowered? And are you suffering and surviving or are you thriving? How do you talk about all of this? Are you speaking in self-deprecating ways? Are you making self-deprecating jokes? Um, Trying to use humor as a way to compensate for not feeling well and basically making fun of yourself or the situation isn't going to move you through it. And so sometimes there's some serious grieving to do, some pain to feel, some fear to face, and that it's not always fun, but that you can still be empowered through it. And I know that, you know, in my less developed years, I was more critical and self-deprecating. And the more that I've healed and matured, and specifically in the area of anxiety, that I do take myself seriously enough to be kind to myself and gentle with myself and appreciate and respect the anxiety, uh, mostly appreciate and respect my, my own pain, my own suffering, my own fears, and, and be able to nurture myself as opposed to beat myself up over it. And something I want to say around the narrative, because I'm I'm careful about that word, because I don't want it to occur as if, oh, your narrative, if you just speak positive, then it's going to be all better. That's not what I'm talking about. I am saying that if we've been criticized for most of our life, it's likely we've internalized that and memorized criticizing ourselves. And that that then leads into low self-esteem or a not empowering self-image. And so if we ruminate on that, if we give that more energy, it's going to disempower and disable us. And so again, I'm not talking about toxic positivity here, but I am talking about a gentleness, a kindness, a softness that would give you the chance and opportunity to navigate anxiety in a more healthy way and a way that you can feel like you are making progress. And so, um, being really kind and gentle with yourself and speaking to yourself in a positive way, it might sound cheesy or tacky to some, but that it truly, truly matters. And I think it has made the most difference in my own life. In fact, I share in the book, Giving Up, Giving Up, like if being tough on yourself worked, it would have worked by now. I've only ever noticed that being tough on myself has caused me more anxiety and shame and belittlement. And I usually spiral into powerlessness and that's not effective. And so speaking to yourself positively, speaking about your circumstances positively can really cause a massive difference in this long-term approach. And I want to say something that if I'm being critical in the moment, I can feel it like it feels like a cop-out, but that I just want to say educate yourself, get online, Google some stuff. Um, You know, I love TikTok and Instagram. Um, I think not all the information is perfect out there. But I think that the more you can educate yourself and like, open your range of your language around anxiety, that it's going to give you more awareness and more management skills and more opportunity to integrate anxiety into your life and be empowered around it by seeing more people empowered around it. So um, educating yourself to better understand descriptions or categories or experiences 
because anxiety is not one size fits all. For some, anxiety looks like high achieving, overachieving perfectionism. Um, it would look like someone who's really successful or financially uh, abundant or has, you know, there, because anxiety comes as like a hyperactive characteristic. And then on the other end of that spectrum, it might look like not leaving, getting out of bed and depression and silence or uh, being frozen or stuttering or hiding out and then all sorts of ways in the middle. Sometimes I think the stigma or let's say the, you know, the idea when we think of anxiety, we might only think of like panic attacks, right? Or someone hyperventilating, but that's not exclusively what anxiety is. And so understanding the whole range of what it looks like and how it might manifest in your life can give you more of an understanding of like, ooh, that's the kind of anxiety I have. And that can give you more to work with and manage. And then researching online what does work for others and giving things a try because what I don't love the self-development industry and the way they say like, here's the three ways to do this and the five steps to that because it's not one size fits all. And so what works for me might not work for you and what works for others might not work for them. And so what I've noticed throughout my life is I've taken what people have suggested and I may have tried it and then I adapt it to my needs or I've combined two different practices to fit me or my schedule or my lifestyle or my behaviors, right? And so, um, and what is anxiety reducing for some is anxiety inducing or producing for others. And so this is where it can get really weird. And I find the the critical part to me is like, oh, you're being so vague, Abigail, like you're, you're not really addressing, okay, here's the one, two, three on how to not have anxiety anymore. I'm not going to sit here and do that. It's too broad. It's too vague. It's too custom to each person. And so while I hope that I didn't build your hopes up about this series that it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to fix your anxiety. It's insight. It's opportunity. It's ability to relate. It's ability to feel heard or related to and seen. And that there's so many ways to manage long-term anxiety, but I want to give it conceptually, not so contextually by saying, these are the things that you can do and you'll be all better now. And so I definitely know that shifting your narrative is going to be really important. Having awareness, learning how to manage and the different management skills and tactics. And that if you really do want to know more or get more individualized uh, feedback, please just book a discovery call because it's that simple. And then integration, being able to practice these things and uh, shift and test and try and again, customize more and more and more. And when it comes to long-term anxiety management, and when I was sort of surveying my audience about this topic, I received so many questions and requests to address medication, um, holistic management. And so I'd love to do a little segment on that. So I want to talk about medications and all of those sorts of things. One, so many syndromes and disorders and everything are not even diagnosed. They are undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. And so I want to start by saying that you don't always need to go to a doctor to know that you have anxiety or ADHD or uh, whatever else you might be struggling with. And then that 
these emotional or mental issues can cause physical symptoms that cause a misdiagnosis. In fact, I had an Instagram follower reach out while I was surveying the audience and she was like, I would love to share my anxiety story with you. And she did. And she she shared how, you know, in her youth, she was diagnosed with asthma and, and was treating asthma for so long in her life. And then when she got this new job in 2015, that the um, her asthma was, you know, very hyperactive. She was using a rescue inhaler consistently multiple times a day with to no avail. And so she was booking more doctor's appointments, having heart tests, lung tests, you know, EKGs and looking at all these different physical issues with no results and then happened to see a different doctor on a day that her regular doctor wasn't in. And so when she was explaining all of these symptoms, this new doctor started to inquire with her about her stressors and she was explaining some of them. And so the doctor actually, you know, proposed to her to consider anxiety medication and therapy. And so at first she was hesitant because she thought she was dealing with physical issues and that when she did accept anxiety medication and therapy that the quote unquote asthma had reduced greatly to almost nothing, not to asthma, right? And that she learned new coping mechanisms in therapy and that she had originally, you know, was resistant to medication at first because she felt embarrassment and shame, like she couldn't handle her own stress, but that um, the anxiety medication allowed her to regulate and then adding the therapy and the coping skills to that mix allowed her to then minimize her medications and eventually go off of them. So I would love to speak about that because that's the journey that I have seen so many people walk. And um, so, you know, we go seeing the appropriate people, seeing doctors, if you feel like you need a doctor, physical, primary care physician or whatever, and then also perhaps seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist just to take all just to get a full comprehensive look at what's going on with you because the intake evaluations for therapists is going to put you through a whole gamut of tests that will show tendencies that look for tendencies when it comes to the mental and emotional, your your emotional stability, your um, ability to cope and all of those. And so having appropriate tests is really important. And then appropriate medications, which you guys, again, it's important for me to um, disclaimer, I am not a medical professional. I am not clinical in nature. And so I'm not here to diagnose you or to tell you how to use your meds or what to use or what not to use. And that I know so many people interested in taking themselves off of being medicated, particularly when we get on medications that are so strong that we can't we're not crying, we're not in touch with ourselves, we're feeling very numbed out, that that's not necessarily a long-term solution to the situation. And so one other thing, which is a route that I took, is when I first went to therapy in 2016 for the first time, and I went through all these tests, I was asked about manic uh, behaviors, like historically in my family, and then also she was like straight up, she's like, yeah, you are ADHD all the way. And I was like, thank you. And I'm not here for medication. I'm here to learn how to manage all of these things uh, in a holistic way. So I, from the jump, that was something I was interested, but something that I, I did and ended up doing something that I didn't look at in this way was self-medicating. 
I didn't feel that I was self-medicating while I was self-medicating like at first. I was going through divorce. I was not coping well. I was numbing out. And so I was smoking marijuana. I was drinking alcohol. And I was using those things to numb out and not feel my feelings. And then I thought, I definitely always thought I was using uh, marijuana as anxiety management. And it worked sometimes when it worked. And other times I mostly just justified it or I was like, oh, it's for creative flow or it's for um, pain management at one point in my life during my knee surgeries, like all sorts of reasons or to just party. Right. And so self-medicating is not necessarily uh, suggestible either. And when I say long-term anxiety management, the way that I related to this for myself was mad scientist era. So like for real, I was trying different things, whether it had to do in the like physical fitness realm or self-medicating or journaling and meditating, right? Like all of this, like what approaches worked for me? This is when I was like reading and educating myself on what other people were doing and what worked most for them. And so when it comes to the holistic approach, the way that I want to explain people who might be interested in getting off medication, it would not be smart of me to have my knee surgery and then be walking on my knee the very next day. So crutches were an appropriate transition while my knee stability and strength was improving and increasing. So if you are in complete disrepair, let's say, and you can't get a grip, you are having consistent anxiety attacks and just cannot regulate, medication may be a good start. And a meeting with a professional and getting individual evaluation and feedback will tell you that. And then the more you can regulate with the medication, the more you are energetically, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually available to do the work of creating emotional stability. And so you're going to be able to think more clearly, reason develop your judgment and discernment, uh, feel more self-reliant. And so this is where other support comes in. So therapy and counselors, perhaps a coach, support groups are really powerful here. So having an an appropriate team of support, maybe a spiritual mentor, but in any sense, you're looking to create emotional well-being and stability, mental stability. And I'm careful the way that I want to say this because there is chemical imbalance that comes with like anxiety or other disorders and symptoms. There are chemical imbalances that come with these sorts of situations and that we don't want to singularly rely on medications to shift those balances. Diet and exercise are important. Um, You know, looking at specifically, I'm thinking of diet and exercise, and that won't solely change it, right? Like facing your deepest fears, dealing with your traumas, your unresolved issues, your wounding, um, your conditioning, because so much comes from our childhood. And without addressing that, simply treating the symptom with medication will not address the root of anxiety, what's causing your pain, your suffering, your struggling, um, 
pretending. And so being able to become more emotionally strong, stable, reliant, balanced, grounded, that's where you can more seriously consider getting off medication. And so I it's in it's so individualized. I'm being so careful to not say like you're better or worse if you're on medication or off. Like that is not the conversation here. It's that you feel good, you feel empowered, you feel stable, you feel like you're at choice in your life and only you can decide that. All right. The next part of this, moving a little bit beyond medication, but still inside of this emotional stability realm, is nervous system regulation. Nervous system regulation is about you feeling safe in your body, you feeling truly relaxed. And safety to me is like the biggest one because you can relax when you feel safe. And I'm going to offer a few key, like, I don't know if they're tips or tricks, but they're components of nervous system regulation. Uh, One is pace. I feel that we live in an unnatural world and society that is functioning at a unnatural pace. And that slowing down drastically has been an incredible part of my anxiety management. In 2016 and 17, I worked with a coach to prioritize important over urgent. I will tell you, it first activated my anxiety before I crossed thresholds where it reduced my anxiety, which meant I would not respond to a text or an email within 24 hours. I I practiced understanding that things weren't as urgent as I made them seem and that my plate wasn't as full as it felt and that I could take things off my plate and that I could delegate. So these are all tips for long-term anxiety management is uh, slow your life down drastically in every way that you can. And another note here that I have is simplicity. For me, a big part of that was becoming minimalist. Like I don't need a complex wardrobe or even a complex diet. Like that's not something I'm interested in. I prefer simplicity. With that being said, like where can you simplify in your life? What does cause anxiety in your life that might not actually be a necessary component of it? Um, For me, having a tiny house is simple to me. I love it. But for other people living in a van where I have to figure out where I'm going to park and, you know, get my own water and make sure my energy that I have enough energy to sustain my life, all of that might be anxiety inducing for other people. But for me, it's anxiety inducing to own a whole house right now or, you know, things like that. So it's like every, it's different for each person, but what does simplicity look like in your life? What does slowing down look like for you? And another thing that I think is a big part of um, nervous system regulation and this simple idea is breaking things down. If you're anything like me, anxiety comes when we are overwhelmed or or vice versa, like chicken or the egg, right? Which comes worse, which comes first, overwhelm or anxiety. But that um, breaking things down into smaller incremental projects or steps really helps with anxiety and having support to do that. Like maybe you can't, you don't have that executive functioning skill set. But like, I love working with a client. And here's an example I've worked with clients through a lot. Let's say you have to move, relocate in one in the next month, right? 
well, what five things have to happen in the next month? I need to pack. I need to organize shipping. I need to close everything down, close all my affairs at home. I need to kick off all the affairs at the new place. And I need to um, transition in my job, right? So there's five major topics. And then you break down underneath five subtopics or subtasks in each topic. And so like breaking any task down into smaller tasks will make it more manageable. That's one of has been one of my favorite uh, tasks or like ways to manage my anxiety is like, I definitely feel overwhelmed if I am thinking of having to like conquer world hunger tomorrow, you know, so breaking things down and then giving yourself longer timelines to complete things is also a really special one. So um, nervous system regulation, something else I want to say, because I actually spend a lot of episodes talking about nervous system regulation, is I want to suggest the uh, empath series, because a lot of us who experience anxiety are really highly sensitive people. In fact, highly sensitive people is a term and it is a label for people. So you can research highly sensitive person and also the empath series. If you relate as an empath, it's likely that you experience high levels of anxiety as well. And then in episodes 330, 331, and 333, I talk about emotional intelligence, emotional endurance, and emotional recovery. And I think that those are really helpful for this topic. And um, lastly, it's kind of repetitive is having support, going to therapy or having a therapist, having a counselor, having a coach, having a support group. There is endless resources and working with someone, having someone as a sounding board and as in a form of accountability can really help you with all three awareness management and integration. Because awareness is an interesting idea. You think you're aware and God bless you. And I love you. And I'm sure you have a lot of awareness. And there are things you can't see about yourself that a professional is trained to see and support you with and be able to help you navigate some of the newness of all of this. And especially, um, I, I, I want to like say it a different way is like if doing it alone worked, it would have worked by now. So if you're struggling with anxiety on your own, I encourage you to reach out. I don't know where I would be without the support that I have enlisted in my life the professional support specifically, because no matter how much our friends and family would love to help us, they're also navigating whatever they're navigating, and they don't have the actual professional ear, eye, and training to support you and what you're working through. I mean, the life skills I can talk about, the coping skills I can talk about are endless, and I'm not going to do that. I want to keep it um, contextual instead of No, I want to keep it conceptual instead of contextual because it seriously is just endless what could work for you. And the way I want to start to wrap this up is give yourself grace in the longevity of this process. There were things that worked for me in the first year of anxiety management that don't work for me anymore because you will evolve. So seasons of life will require new strategies, new tactics, new intensities of treatments. And so um, have a ton of patience and grace. And I know that patience and grace aren't inherent uh, components of anxiety. I really do know that. I just want to shine the light of hope because 
as you grow, your journey will evolve and so will your needs. And so just, you know, continue to practice that patience and grace as you navigate it all. I certainly hope that this was helpful. I hope that it brings you peace to feel related to. If you have more questions or needs, please reach out and keep showing up. There's like three or more episodes left of this anxiety series, and I hope to continue to cover the various topics in sufficient ways. Uh, My anxiety, like I mentioned before, would love to sabotage me delivering this information for fear of not doing it justice, but I'm going to live into my greatest potential as much as possible, and I would love to encourage you to do the same. Thank you for tuning into the Hearts Unleashed podcast, where we are turning dreamers into doers. I love you. Thanks for tuning in to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. We hope you found all the inspiration that you needed today and that you use it to take the next inspired action on your dreams. If you love the show, share it with a friend. We love spreading the love. For more information, to listen to more episodes, or to shop Hearts Unleashed, visit us at heartsunleashed.com. See you next time, hearts.